Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are talking linebackers today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 135. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former Eagles linebacker Ike Reese about what goes into playing the linebacker position at the NFL level. We will talk about draft prospects, his playing days, and some of the little things about playing the position in that segment before we transition to scouting report, where I go through my notes on one of my favorite players to watch in this year's NFL draft at the linebacker spot, South Carolina State linebacker Darius Leonard. But before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. Last week, we talked about the quarterback position with Dan Orlovsky. So let's talk about the quarterbacks of the defense this week. Ike Reese and I talk about some of the finer points of the linebacker position. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined for the first time this offseason by my good friend Ike Reese. Ike, uh, welcome back to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Talk some linebackers today. Yeah, yeah. Franny, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, always up to talk about the LBs, man. Uh, it's uh, it's the first week of April. Uh, spring is seemingly here for the first time, but uh, I think everybody's excited to kind of talk some ball. The players will be back in a couple weeks. Uh, obviously a shortened offseason for them. But uh, let's talk about – the the draft and some of these guys. I know you and I just got got a chance to sit down and watch a couple of them, but overall, looking at the the linebacker position based off your playing career and knowing how the game is now, in your mind, what's the toughest part for a college linebacker making that transition from college to the NFL? I think in today's game is uh, understanding um, how important is it is to know passing situations. Mm-hmm. I think in today's game, uh, the passing game is so prevalent that as a linebacker, uh, you certainly have to understand uh, route concepts, down and distance. Uh, you got to be much better in open space. Uh, you have to be a linebacker that's not only good uh, in understanding zone coverages and pattern uh, reads, but also uh, in defenses where you're going to be forced to be a man-to-man coverage guy. Mm. And because the tight ends are so athletic, so much faster uh, in, in today's game, uh, you have to be a much better athlete at that linebacker position in order to excel. Because today's game, there's so much three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back personnel, 11 personnel, that uh, it's not like it was when I came in where – you know, the size of the linebacker, being a bigger guy, being physical against the run. Those things are still important in today's game. Yep. But there are very few teams that use two backs. And so everybody's using a single back. Everybody's using three wide receiver sets. Your backers had better be able to be comfortable playing in open space. So that was one of the things I know that kind of caught you by surprise when, you know, we're watching uh, Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech. We watched uh, Leighton Vanderesh from Boise yeah. State. And I tell you how big they are, you know, 6'4", 255 pounds. And I say, yeah, they ran in the 4.5s, low 4.6s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't make them that way when you were coming out. No, I mean, listen, you talk about uh, Edwards and, and, and Leighton, when you're talking about guys that are that long, um, that used to be 
uh, size required for defensive ends, right? Linebackers is 6'4", 6'4 You just didn't want to put them out in open space because sometimes they can look like a fish uh, out of water. But you watch these guys run. You watch them, you know, flip their hips. Uh, they read the quarterback. They're able to uh, drop back in coverage. Yep. And they look like fluid athletes. I think that's the biggest thing that um, impresses me with these young guys coming out today. They, they are just so much bigger and so much more athletic. Uh, you know, I was impressive coming out running a high 4.5, 4.59. Five, five, but I only weighed 224 pounds. <laughs> you know, these guys got me outweighed by 20-plus pounds, and they're still able to move uh, like a wide receiver uh, and, and to a degree. And so, you know, I think when I look at those guys on film, that's the biggest thing that stands out to me is that usually those guys – would be forced to put their hands in the dirt and rush the passer. Mm. Now you're having guys that can drop back in coverage, particularly in zone coverage, and even man up on tight ends. When you got to play guys like, like uh, um, Zach Ertz or Jimmy Graham, you know these big athletic tight ends, Travis Kelsey. Uh, sometimes they can overpower some of the smaller guys, but the way these guys are coming out today, it's almost like it's an ideal size to match up with these bigger faster athletic tight ends. Do you have certain traits that you look for that are more important? And I, I, really, to me, the bigger question for me is, are there things that you see these guys do at a lower level where they, it just rubs you the wrong way and you just, you'd just you rather somebody else take them and you're not yeah. going to bring them to your team? I think the number one thing for me, uh, it, this obviously falls in the line of just being a smart football player, but you got to have good instincts. There needs to be a natural feel for you out there playing the position. Uh, obviously, the schemes are a lot more complicated at the NFL level. It's really unfortunate for some of these defenders that you get somewhat of a vanilla-style offense at times uh, at the college level, and it doesn't force you to have to see the whole picture. So when I'm watching a linebacker play, I want to know, does he understand the formation that's in front of him? That sort of gives him an indicator of what the team is about to run against you sure. so you put yourself in the right position. Uh, not taking false steps, putting yourself uh, in a position to be blocked or out-leveraged uh, in the passing game. Those are things that instinctually you want to see when you watch on film. Does this backer put himself in position to be able to make the play? Because, you know, at the college level, you're so good that sometimes you can make up for a false read. Yep. But at the NFL level, if, if you're out of position or you have a bad read, you know, sometimes that leads to a touchdown or a first down for the opposition. So, like, one of the things that turns me off, I would say relatively quickly, guys. And, and look, everybody's got their, their positive traits and their negative traits. Otherwise, yeah. uh, they'd all be first-round picks. But – one thing that's a negative for me that really it make it's it's hard for me to come back from is when a guy just lacks urgency getting off a block. Oh yeah, like <laughs> if, if you're so like you, you're gonna get you're gonna initiate contact at some point. At some point, you're gonna make contact with a guard or a tackle, a center, whatever. Getting off that block and then showing the urgency coming off of that to go and make the play and then finish. Yeah, like that's to me like at that position, I I need a guy to be able to do that. And if he doesn't do it, I'm like it's it's really hard for me to wrap my head around him. No, I, I completely agree with you on that. You just took me back to Jim Johnson. I can hear Jim Johnson yelling, get off the block, get off the block. <laughs> like, like you know, when you watch film, that was just one thing he, he would not accept from the linebacker position. You, you shouldn't be blocked one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. Um, you got to be able to use your hands. And once you disengage from the block, get to the ball. 
Yeah. Get to right. the ball. All, all the coaches that I played for, you know, that's the one thing on defense that there is no substitute for, and that's playing with a sense of urgency, giving effort. That's you know, it doesn't take ability to give effort. You know, that's that's all about determination, and you can't stay blocked. Can't stay blocked. You know, it's one thing to initiate or engage in contact. Got to get off the blocks and then get to the ball. All right, so what's more important to you? You've got to pick one. This is a, like a, a final four bracket for you for linebacker traits. What's yeah. more important, athleticism or using your hands? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to say using your hands. Okay. So I, I, I got to like say that. using your hands. Yep. Um <laughs> just just so in case some of my old linebacker coaches hears this, you know, <laughs> that's that's one thing that they've all embedded in me is that you got to have violent hands, play with violent hands. You have to be the one who initiates the violence, strike your opposition, get off the blocks. Like athleticism is great, but sometimes we rely on athleticism too much and the thing with today's game is much different than when I played when the linemen were so much bigger and wasn't as athletic on the offensive side. Right, yeah. These offensive linemen are just as athletic. You get a guy like Jason Kelsey, you're not going to out-athletic Jason Kelsey. So you would better be able to use your hands, strike him first, and then disengage and get rid of him. So, yeah, I would have to say, yeah, using your hands uh, is probably a much more important trait to have as a linebacker than just sheer athleticism all right so i'm going to separate the overall athleticism from sideline to sideline speed so you see that like that speed from sideline sideline Mm -hmm. sideline to sideline speed or play recognition pretty good friend i know Uh, know. i'm trying (laughs) i prepped a little bit for this It's funny. Um, I got to go with play recognition. I know. I play recognition. I, I got I to go with play recognition because um, if you know what the offense, based on film study, has shown you through the formations that they're giving you, it's going to allow you to put yourself in position to be more correct than being incorrect. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the old vets told me a long time ago, you know, I, I, I remember asking Willie T, like, man, you always seem like you're in the right place, man. You know, you seem fast. And he's like, that's film study. That's knowing what the offense is about to run. And what you got to be able to do is condense it to about three or four plays based out of that formation, based mm-hmm. on down the distance. This is what you're more than likely going to get. It allows you to play faster. Mm-hmm. So sometimes with that sideline to sideline speed, that's a great trait to have when you're trailing a play, but if you put yourself in position prior to the ball being snapped, you're already there to make the play. Now you, instead of just making the routine tackle, now you're there to make a force a turnover possibly, tip the ball in the air. So, yeah, play recognition, yeah. Yeah, so, I would have to put that up there. So we've talked about the – you've gone in depth on those two winners, and yeah. I, would, I would 100% agree with you, play recognition and hand use. Now you've got to pick between those two. What's the most important? Between play between recognition. play recognition and hand use. I'm going to say play recognition. Yeah, that's how, I'm gonna say that's play how I recognition. the same way. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I feel good about myself now. Yeah, well, it's one of the things that allowed me to stay in the league, uh, being a backup player. You know, you just can't play special teams for nine years. You got to be able to contribute on yeah. defense. And so that was one of the things that helped me on third down is that I, I was um, – 
very good at being able to understand down and distance. And when you give me those certain 11 personnel formations, I'm going to know where the ball is more likely going based on film study. So there's no substitute for knowing what's about to happen to you before it happens. It allows you to put yourself uh, in the proper position. So, yeah, film study, play recognition, uh, tendencies, those are all the things that allow you to have a long career in this league. At some point, that athleticism is going to go away, and the smart players are the ones that stick around for a long time. So, like, this is exactly how I would have wanted it to go, like this yeah. conversation, and I feel like it helps illustrate – the difference because we all fall in love with oh my god this guy ran four five two right. or this guy but then you watch him on film and you don't necessarily see Looks four clueless. five two yeah. yeah so like that's the difference between like time speed and, and play speed so you know that's what to me like the hand use and play recognition uh, the ability to defeat a block to operate in traffic like yeah. those things are just so much more important to me uh, and then also like that like I said that urgency that ability to to get off a block and then fight to the ball. Those things are just so much more important to me at that position. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about on defense and with that position, those are your tone setters. So those are yeah. the guys who set the tone for everyone else. And, you know, they're often the quarterback out there on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, play. I, I think when you're talking about knowing where you're supposed to be lined up, getting the other guys lined up, uh, that makes coaches sleep well at night. Yeah, right. You know, we, friend, you know, we, we, we've seen a lot of good athletes, and just about everybody's a good athlete that gets it if you're fortunate enough to make it to this level. But I've also seen a lot of athletes wash out, the guys that have all these sort of physical traits, the guys that can go to the combine and wow all the scouts with their size, their speed, and all that, and agility. But – they're dumb as a box of rocks, and, and they don't understand uh, where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be. And those are the things that get you beat yep. in this league. Yeah. In this league, those are the things that get you beat, and those are the things that keep coaches up at night if they have to worry about whether or not that player knows how to execute the game plan. So last spring or summer, Troy Vincent came in, and he and I talked, and we talked about the cornerback spot. And I, yeah. I asked him about ball skills, and, I, and I, to me, like – I had always thought ball skills were like this innate thing. Like you either had ball skills or you don't have ball skills. And and he said, no, like I, I think you can improve ball skills. And he told yeah. me about how they used to work with Al Harris every single day after practice yep. to get him. And from his rookie year to later in his career before he left, he was so much better playing the ball. Is there a trait that you kind of feel that uh, maybe people don't think is something that can be approved upon, but you know, through reps and reps and time and, and a lot of work put in uh, away from the field? that you can get better at that maybe people don't think about at the linebacker spot? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think there are a lot of things. You, you, when you're talking about being uh, better at using your hands, okay. I think that's something that uh, a lot of guys may not get coached up at at the college level. Again, because they're such great athletes, that sort of gets – they sort of get by on just that sheer athleticism. But when you get to this level, we all have to sort of be retaught mm. how to play the position because you're playing it at – a totally different level, which means you're going to need to improve different skill sets or have different skill sets in order to have success. So when I just look at being 
uh, violent with your hands and being good with your hands. That's something that Ron Rivera, who was my linebacker coach, Steve uh, Spagnolo, was who was my linebacker coach. We worked an awful lot on. Uh, so whether it's the um, the drills where you're hitting the sled and you're hitting that sled until your forearms are just sore, <laughs> you just got to get used to it. Going up against yep. uh, tight ends in practice, one on one every day at the line of scrimmage. They don't do it as much today as they did back then where you have linebackers playing on the end of the line of scrimmage over a tight end. Everybody uses stacked linebackers now. So back then, though, we used to have to get on the line of scrimmage and set the edge of a defense, an under defense. You know, Carlos Emmons, he was so great at doing that. And so I know I wasn't as good coming out of college using my hands. You know, I was more of of an athletic guy who would sort of use that to get by, but – I had to be retaught all those things. So, actually, hand use is one of the things that I had to get better at. And there are drills for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly there are drills for it, but you got to be able to be dedicated to it and and willing to do it because that's where the dirty work is at. So, you and I, we watched watched Roquan Smith. Mm -hmm. We watched from uh, Georgia, Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech, uh, two guys that we feel – probably not going to be there at 32 when the Eagles select, but two very talented players, very physically gifted players. The – one of the big differences that we saw was that Edmonds was nowhere near as good at using his hands as Roquan. So you, feel, but you, based on what you just said, you feel like that's something that he gets with the right coach in the right situation. Sure. That's a, he that can be fixed going forward. Yeah, because he has all the physical tools. Yeah, I right. mean that's six four height, the arms. Uh, you certainly know he's going to have long arms, being that tall. You just got to get with a coach that that is going to preach that. That's one of the things I go back to Jim Johnson all the time. Jim Johnson used to hate when we would take on blocks with our shoulders. Don't use your shoulders. Use your hands. Use your hands. So when we did drills back then, back then when they did nine on seven in practice and all those drills, um, we had to use our hands. So when you went down to take on, take a double team off the tackle in front of you, you don't go down there and just bury your head in there. You go down there and you strike with your hands. You strike with your hands. And that's something that we did every day in practice. That was a part of our individual warm-up. Mm-hmm. So when you broke off into different position groups to warm up, we always had a shoot-your-hands drill. Shoot-your-hands drill because you want to get used to shooting your hands as opposed to taking on blocks with your shoulder pads, which a lot of us do in college mm-hmm. just because we feel like you get a bigger hit by taking on with your shoulder pads. Using those hands, shoot those hands. you got to be able to do it. All right, so give me, uh, while we're talking about those guys, give me uh, some quick, a squ- quick scouting report on Roquan Smith. We watched one game. We watched the, uh, the national title game against yeah. Alabama. Uh, Tremaine Evans from Virginia Tech, who we watched against Pittsburgh. And then Leighton Vander Esch, we watched the, the Mountain West title game against Fresno State. I tried to pick three games, and there's going to be a piece that's on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. It's not up already. You can go, and it'll be, it'll be up shortly. Um, where we looked at all three of those games. I tried to find games where those guys were really productive so you yeah. can really kind of see them at their best. Uh, what did you see in the one game from each guy? I'll tell you from Roquan, I, I just there's not much that I don't like about Roquan Smith, and I enjoy watching him uh, really last year a whole lot, especially in some of those big games that Georgia played in, and number three just seemed to be around the football Always. all the time. Uh, and that's, that's also a trait that you want to see from linebackers, guys that have a nose for the football. And this kid, I think is the best linebacker coming out in the draft this year. Fundamentally sound. You rarely see him take false steps. Keeps his shoulders square to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Always pressing the line of scrimmage. Rarely 
takes uh, the you know, the blow from a, an offensive player is usually initiating the contact. So you certainly love that. Uh, you certainly see a thirst and a love for the game when you're watching yes, play. Definitely. He plays fast, plays with sort of that that inspirational type of football that inspires his teammates around him. So it's no it's no uh, surprise that he's a guy that's projected to go up there in the top ten. And then when you watch Edmonds play, you you just I think you're you're in awe of his size, right? You see that size and you're saying, man, I can do some wonderful things with a kid <laughs> that size. Yep. When, when The one thing I loved about him, let's start with the things I liked about him yep. first, is when he sees something, he goes. Like, like he's a guy that you can tell at for 6'4", almost 260 pounds, there isn't this sort of, I don't know, um, robotic movement to him. There's a fluid movement to him that – you don't necessarily see with guys that size. So when he recognizes something, he plays fast, he can get to the football. The thing that I would certainly encourage him and whatever team drafts him, you're going to have to work with him on using his hands, using that size to his advantage. He should be able to overpower guys with that size and that speed, and you just don't see enough of that from him. Mm. Guy that big, that fast, he should win most matchups against tight ends or running backs, and sometimes you just don't see it. But when you watch – I like when you're watching drop back in coverage, which is something you would worry about for a guy that big, he looks comfortable in open space. He looks comfortable dropping. You want to see him running the football a little bit more, play with his – like. his hair is on fire. Coaches like to use that, that term. Yeah. You want to see a little bit more of that. But there's a lot there to be intrigued by. He's one of those guys that you would say the ceiling is very high. Like he hasn't yeah. reached his potential yet yep. when you look at his size and his athleticism. And then when I watch Leighton play, the thing that stands out to me the most with Leighton is that, A, you rarely see him making a mistake out there on the field. Mm-hmm. He seems to be in the right place all the time. He's always around the football. The effort. Is never questioned. He's always giving you maximum effort. Uh, I like the way that he seems to get everyone else lined up around him as well. He does. Yep. So, so he's one of those guys when we're when we're talking about uh, pre-snap recognition, understanding down and distance. He's a guy that when I see him play, he always seems to know where the football is supposed to go. And when he has to drop in coverage, a lot like um, like Edmonds because. Uh, Leighton is a big kid as well. He looks fluid. Yeah. Looks fluid. Looks like a natural athlete. You know, guys that at that size, you you would think at times will struggle in open space. You watch this kid make open field tackles. Shoulders always square to the football. Rarely saw him overrun the football. Keeps proper leverage. Another guy, I think you plug in your defense and you don't have to worry about him. That, right. That's a guy you're not going to have to worry about whether or not he's going to make mental mistakes out there. As a matter of fact, he's a guy that you see playing a long time. Mm. You see him playing a long time because I think about the pre-snap recognition. I think about the tape study. That's a guy that, you know, his coach is going to be able to sleep easy at night because you're not going to have to worry about whether or not he's going to cause you with a mental error in the game. There were a couple of times in that game where we watched Leighton Van Der Esch where he's pointing, he's telling teammates, like, yeah. hey, it's run right, it's run right. Uh, and he was exactly right. It's exactly where the ball went. Um, overall feelings, we didn't get to watch too much of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched maybe like 10, 15 plays before we had to come in and, re- and record. Uh, Rashawn Evans from Alabama, a player I know you've watched uh, a decent amount of watching on TV. Well, yeah. what, what are your overall takeaways on what you saw from Rashawn Evans today and then what you've seen from him in the past? It's funny because watching him on TV doesn't give you 
uh, I guess, the uh, the overall perspective when you watch him and you get the breakdown film of him. Uh, I think he's a natural athlete at the position. Mm-hmm. You know, he's obviously switching from being a pass rusher to being a, uh, a stand-up linebacker. Plays with great physicality. Love that. You know, when you when you're talking about having a linebacker, you want guys with bad intentions when they when they get yeah. to the football, and <laughs> and that's Evans. And I think that's probably why I love him as a player because it seems like he wants to hit somebody on every play, mm. and he he's coming when 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 he gets to the ball carrier. He comes. He, he gets there with the intention of dislodging the football. Yep. He wants to get that ball out of there. Plays with that that um, that ferocity that you want your linebackers to have. Still, I think is a little raw when it comes to just being an uh, instinctual player at the position. I think that's probably because he did so much rushing the passer. I think there's still a little bit of uh, uncomfortableness with. The passing game, when you're talking about dropping in yeah, coverage right, and yep. reading uh, routes, which is what you're going to have to do. You know, football at the linebacker position is more than just being a run stuffer nowadays, especially if you're going to be a high draft pick. You're going to have to be a guy that can play on third down as well. See him run around blocks a little bit yeah, as well. Don't, yeah, downhill, doesn't yep. use his hands as much, and I think that's because he, he wants to just use that athleticism yep. and effort, but gives you great effort. Getting to the football, and like I said, when, when he gets there, he has bad intentions. So I, I hate doing this to guys, um, but you can almost put them in umbrellas where uh, Roquan and Leighton kind of ready-made. Like, they're yeah. pro-ready, they're safe that, players. Yeah. And then uh, Edmonds and Evans, I think there's a little bit more projection needed uh, where the, maybe the ceiling is they haven't reached that ceiling yet. No, I, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, I look at Roquan, I look at Leighton, they look like guys that – have been playing the position for a while, and they just seem comfortable with it. And when you look at uh, uh, Edmonds and and you look at my man Rashawn Evans, there there is still a little work to do, and, yep. and, and that's a good thing, especially when you're talking about Edmonds. What are you telling me? Edmonds, 19 years old? He's going to be 20 years old in June. Yeah. Holy smoke, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the right system, uh, good coaching, they certainly – can take it to the next level, but just having the traits of the size, the speed, the effort that you want, things of that nature, those are all good linebacker traits to have. They haven't reached their ceiling yet. And the other two guys have not either. I still think Roquan can certainly be a guy that you're talking about, a Pro Bowl-level linebacker. And I think Leighton is that type of guy too, and he's that type of guy that will get there by just making – He's going to be the guy that's just going to surprise people with his athleticism and the plays that he makes in the passing game. Because, again, you're talking about a kid that's 6'4", that just looks comfortable out there. Um, and, again, you're talking about a league where they throw the ball an awful lot, and it's not just about stopping the run anymore. You have to be an adequate linebacker on third down in the passing game. So – I mentioned earlier in the show before you came on that it, this isn't necessarily me saying, like, oh, the Eagles are going to take one in, in round one. Sure. And that's because we feel pretty good about the linebackers that are on the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eagles decide to bring Nigel Bradham back. Overall thoughts on, on that decision and what Nigel brings to the field. And, you know, obviously you have Jordan Hicks, you have Michael Kendricks, they bring in Corey Nelson. Yeah. You've got a couple young guys coming up as well. Uh, overall thoughts on the N- Nigel Bradham re-signing and then just the linebacker group as a whole. Well, I was pleasantly surprised that they were able to get Nigel back here. I was real concerned about yeah. that because I knew that um, he had had such a good year and he was going to be a free agent. And you let him get to the open market, you never know what some other team is going to step up and offer him. Uh, It was a great job by Howie uh, to be able to get a deal done with Nigel. I mean, you you can make the case that Nigel 
uh, was one of the MVPs, you know, uh, of this defense last year, especially when Jordan went down. Nigel had to fill a bigger role, uh, especially being that base, that quarterback of the defense. Love that we were able to get him back. And when you look at Jordan, you you know the deal with Jordan. We we love him. You know what type of player he can be when he's out there and available on the field. It's just a matter of staying healthy. And I, when when fifty eight is out there, you know I love to call him fifty eight. Yep, so that's, that's right. When, when when he's out there, I feel good. Just got to get him out there. I, you know, having he and uh, uh, Nigel uh, and and Michael right now as our three going next. And we're really a defense to use more two linebackers yeah, than right. we do three. So I certainly feel good about that. Uh, Want to? I want to sort of shore up the young guys a little bit yeah. more. Not sure what Nate Jerry is going to be uh, playing wise. If Najee doesn't come back this year, you know he's a free agent. You know you want to have young guys in your pipeline because that attributes to your special teams and how good they are. No question. But when I look at our starters, I'm, I mean I can't I can't I can't be uh, any happier about the guys that we're going to have there, especially in this defense. Yeah. Defense is different nowadays in the NFL, man. It's a lot of two linebackers in the, in the NFL nowadays. And so I think if whether it's uh, Nigel and Jordan or it has to be Nigel and, and Michael until Jordan gets back, uh, with those three I feel very comfortable with. You got to win at the point of attack. If you're an, if you're an Eagles linebacker in this scheme, the, the D-line gets upfield. Oof. We see all those trap plays. Yeah. The offensive line's getting up. You got to be able to win it. Doesn't mean doesn't mean you need to be two sixty and jacking guys sure. up. You, know, you got to be able to defeat that block. They'll find a way, whether it's with quickness or strength. You certainly do. And they did a good job over last year. Number yes. one rushing defense in the league. They got it done. Yeah, well, Ike, I appreciate the time here as always on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. We will. Uh, something tells me we'll talk to you again before the season starts. <laughs> Hope so, brother. Thanks for having me, Franny. Great stuff from Ike, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Ike58Reese, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know that I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating and leave us a comment. I wanted to give two more shout-outs today. The first one, is to Shane is Awesome, who rated the show on Apple Podcasts and left a question. Shane wants to know more about an area that he feels fans take for granted with substitutions, and he uses running backs as an example. How do they know when to go in and out? Doug calls a play. The running backs don't have headsets, so someone is yelling to them to set the personnel grouping and someone else deciding which one goes in. How is that all coordinated? It seems like there's a lot going on that probably gets taken for granted, and Shane, you're exactly right. It is something that I think gets taken for granted a bit. And taking the running backs as an example, it only really comes up, right, when fans or media have questions about the rotation. Oh, how come this guy only got X amount of carries or only saw you know this percentage of snaps? To me, the answer is a bit complicated in that every team and every coaching staff does things a little bit differently. Obviously, with Doug calling the plays, he can't monitor every substitution. So you know that goes down to the coordinators and the position coaches and the assistant position coaches to kind of monitor that. This is my understanding of how most teams do it, though. And again, I'm not saying that this is exactly how the Eagles do it. I don't know exactly all the mechanics of how the Eagles do it. But just from my time at Temple and you know talking with people around the league about how things are done, this is how I feel like it happens. Each week, the coaching staff on both sides of the ball will have an idea of rotations and playing time. You know, If they want to get the, the backup X receiver to get 7 or 10 reps or the number 3 running back to get 5 or 6 reps or the number 3 safety to get 2 reps, all of that gets discussed during the week and then reviewed in one final meeting the day before the game or the, day, the morning of the game. 
during the game, position coaches on the field are responsible for coordinating those substitutions as the game goes on, knowing what they want the rotation to be. So typically there's you know a, a quality control coach or an assistant position coach who's responsible of charting the entire team, so everybody that goes in and out, and then they relay, the, relay that information on to the position coaches, and then they're able to kind of monitor that as the game goes. Now, the thing that throws a little bit of a wrench into that whole thing, though, is personnel groupings. Because on offense, we know that there are all these different personnel groupings, right? All those different combinations. You can have 10 personnel with you know, one back and no tight ends and four receivers, or 11 personnel with one back and one tight end, three receivers, 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, so on and so forth. But it actually goes deeper than that because there are different groupings of 11 and 12 and personnel. So take last year, for instance. There was a 12 personnel package with one back and two tight ends and two receivers. But then you think of the way that the Eagles' offense was orchestrated. There's lots of different ways that could have looked. Who was the running back? Was it LeGarrette Blunt? Was it Jay Ajayi? Was it Corey Clement? Who were the tight ends? Was it Ertz and Brent Selleck or was it Ertz and Trey Burton? Who were the receivers? Was Torrey Smith in the game or was Nelson Aguilar in the game? Each week the staff may have a package of plays in for a specific personnel grouping. The, the best example I can kind of think of is, you know, I go back, and this was what? This was, I think, 2013 or 2014. It was the the blackout game against the Giants on Sunday Night Football where the Eagles shut them out. Uh, so they wore the all-black jerseys, and you know, Nick Foles threw the touchdown to, to Zach Ertz in the corner of the end zone. And the play I can think of is like that James Casey touchdown that he hit later in the game. He's rolling to his right, and he hits James Casey off play action. There was a package they had in that game where James Casey was on the field in a 12 personnel set, and it was two tight ends, and it was Ertz and James Casey. Brent Selleck, I don't believe, from my memory, was on the field. So they had a few plays built in that week where they had just James Casey. It was just that personnel grouping. So let's just say all 12 personnel packages, a lot of the popular name for that across most offenses in football is Tiger. That's 12 personnel, one back, two tight end, two receivers. Well, going into that game, you had your basic Tiger, but then they may have also had like a Tiger Casey or a Tiger 85. That was his jersey number. And that's what signifies, hey, this is going to be Tiger 12 personnel, but James Casey is in for Brent Selleck. And, and so when you have packages that are built in like that, it might be something small, you know, it might have, especially when you have like a specialty player. So when you have, you know, a Darren Sproles or, you know, something like that where you want to try and, and spice things up and change things up from what you normally want. And if you're calling a play with a specific player in mind, that's when you're going to have that extra tag on and an extra personnel package. And again, that's done on a weekly basis. So that's a bit of a long-winded response. But to answer the question quickly, yeah, there are a lot of factors that go into that on a weekly basis. And the position coaches are trying to monitor that as the game goes on. But when you have personnel groupings and you, know, you have specific plays built for specific players, sometimes that doesn't always work out that way. But more often than not, that stuff is planned ahead of time, and you're just kind of going off off the fly to make sure that you kind of match what the preconceived plans were going into that weekly game. So, uh, long term, long winded answer. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it, and it was a really good question. So, thanks Shane for bringing that up. Also, wanted to quickly give shout outs to two more people: SC Eagles fan and Robert Zemby, who went onto our Libsyn page rated the show, commented on the show as well. So thanks to those two. Thanks again to Shane is awesome. And all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier we would break down South Carolina State linebacker Darius Leonard. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. 
All right, so this week on Scouting Report, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about Darius Leonard from South Carolina State. 6'2", even, 234 pounds. This kid had no FBS offers coming out of high school. He's from Lakeview, South Carolina. He only His only offer really was to be a preferred walk-on for Clemson. So he decided rather than walk-on, let me take the scholarship offer from FCS South Carolina State. And that's where he went on to be a four-year starter for the Bulldogs in their 4-3 scheme. Lined up mostly stacked, but did walk out at times into the slot. Tall with extremely long arms and the frame to add on a bit more weight. Helps get his teammates lined up pre-snap. And he appears to make all the calls for that defense. Natural athlete. He looks smooth when he's asked to change direction. He can play on either side of the line of scrimmage. Plays fast and he's able to work sideline to sideline. I thought he saw things really quickly and he rarely false step early in the down. He's always square to the line of scrimmage, something we talked about with Ike earlier, has a knack for playing off blocks. He presses the line of scrimmage quickly, does not back down from a pulling guard in the hole, and he uses his length at the point of attack to defeat blocks and get to the football very violent, and that was one of the things that really stood out to me. He was very violent at the point of contact. He arrives at the football with bad intentions. He brings his feet as a tackler, and he runs his way through contact. In coverage, he was often used in underneath zone, and he did a good job, I thought, of pattern matching in space and being able to match up with receivers on the move. He looked fluid, moving in reverse, dropping down the seam as a Tampa 2 Mike linebacker. Decent man coverage player as well who can play against running backs in space and was very productive with the, on the ball with six career interceptions. He was used as a blitzer a good amount of time, both off the edge and inside. Hit it with speed. He hit it with power. He timed it well. And he played with just a ton of fire and energy. I mentioned the violence earlier. Loved his play personality. Certainly was one of the tone setters for that defense. And he's got some swagger to him the way he plays. So, you know, watching him, I really, really liked him on film. Obviously not all positive, otherwise he'd be you know the a top ten pick. Not truly explosive. He's not a guy that you know he's going to be low four fives and play sideline to sideline from that standpoint. Um, I don't think he's going to be viewed as a top shelf athlete for the position. He's athletic enough to be a three down player, but that's not going to be something that he's known for being this great fluid athlete in space. I thought at times, you know, there were look, he saw things quickly at the college level, but it's a big jump from the speed of the game from the MEAC to the NFL. So getting adjusted to the speed of the game may take take some time. I thought at times in traffic he would seek out contact instead of trying to avoid it. We talked about that earlier with Ike where you know, I like guys that they don't have to uh, take their eye off the football to be able to navigate through tight spaces and, and get through traffic. He, at times, I thought he kind of dropped his eyes a little bit and had to see where he was going to get through traffic. But uh, that's something that he can work on. And like I said, you can kind of get through that with reps. He will need to get a little bit bigger and stronger to handle the rigors of the league. He lacks that pop to disrupt on contact. I don't know that he's this big hitter over the middle of the field. Um, can get taken for a ride by bigger, stronger backs. And at times, he'll try and go for the big hit instead of trying to wrap up. So that's something he'll have to correct as well. But to me, watching Darius Leonard, he definitely has three down starting potential down the road as a stacked backer. Most likely uh, starting in year two. I, you know, I think he could start in year one, but I think he really he's going to hit his stride in year two. I think he could play Mike or Will in any scheme. And with his athleticism, his aggressiveness, and his versatility, I think he's going to be one of the better players on, on a defense that is playoff caliber. So I'm excited about this kid and his future. I think he's going to turn into a really good player. Uh, so that'll be it. Great stuff from Ike Reese and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one last time, please go take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. You know it's going to get on the show if you leave a comment on there. And don't be afraid to leave a question because then we can answer it and we can get it on here and you can get on the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy, and we will talk to you next week.